Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much this morning for bringing, bringing everybody here. Lord, I thank you for those who are going to be listening over a podcast. Lord, as we dig into this word, as we dig into the, the deepness of this word, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hold on to it, that we would grasp on to it, that your Holy Spirit would just move all over it in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start a new series today. The series is going to be called Profiles in Courage. Profiles in Courage. We're going to be going over various people in the Bible that showed great courage. Profiles in Courage. How many can guess who we're going to go talk about today? <laughs> David and Goliath. David and Goliath is who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the profiles of courage. We're going to talk about David and Goliath. But I want to tell you this. I'm just warning you. This is one of two parts. So about David and Goliath, this is one of two parts. This would be, if we were watching, if, if, let's consider this a movie. How many like movies? How many like the movie and then you see there's a prequel to the movie? This sermon is going to be the prequel to the movie. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. That's okay. The sermon is about David and Goliath, but this sermon, we're not going to talk about David or Goliath. We're going to talk about everything that happened beforehand. We're going to dig into the backstory. We're going to dig into the history of how it led to David and Goliath. We're going to, I would encourage you this morning to take notes. If you have the ability, please take notes because you're going to want to hold on to some things from this week and into next week. I will also have this available on podcast, so if you want to hear it again, you're more than welcome to. So we're going to be looking at the backstory of this, and we're going to be looking at it in chronological order. So this is probably pretty close to unlike any sermon that I've preached since I've been here. We're going to be looking at it really in chronological order, and going all the way up until David and Goliath in part two. So, I want you to stick with me. Please stick with me, even though it might be a little difficult. But, let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And it says this. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Saul is going to be the main character in this prequel today. Saul is going to be the main character, the main emphasis, the main person, the main guy. Who is Saul? The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Samuel here is referring to a time just a few years earlier. The people of Israel had no king. The people of Israel had no king. They cried out to God, we want a king. We want a king. We want a representative for us. They wanted to be like the other nations. Up until that time, they had been governed by God. God had set up judges and prophets to help lead and guide the nation of Israel. But Israel rose up and said, no, we want a king. Samuel warned them against it. Samuel warned them against it. You don't want a king, trust me. But they insisted. We want a king. 
God said this to Samuel. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give them a king. But make sure they know what the king is going to take from them. So, that he, so Samuel goes to the leaders of Israel and says, here's all the king that's going to, he's going to take this from you, he's going to take that from you, he's going to take a tenth of this and a tenth of that, and, and he's going to take a lot of things from you. Are you sure you still want a king? And they said, yes, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Samuel says, okay. But God says this, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, but they have rejected me. But warn them what this king will be like. They don't care. They still want a king. It comes about that there was a man named Benjamin. And Benjamin had a son. Now this son, I find this always very interesting. The Bible says that this son was the best looking man in all of Israel. The best looking man. He was the most handsome man. I want to go into like a rabbit trail here, and I just can't. I can't, I can't, my time won't afford me to. The best looking man in all of Israel, the most handsome man. The Bible says that he was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And guess what his name was? His name was Saul. His name was Saul, the the son of Benjamin, the most handsome man in all of Israel. And Something happens significant in his life. But what happens? There's, what leads him to be king? There's something that happens that's very significant. Very, very significant. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to hear it? Are you sure? Bobby, are you ready? Wait for it. He lost his donkeys. That was it. Kind of a letdown, huh? He lost his donkeys. What does that mean? It's important to understand something about the prophets in the Old Testament. There were so many. Jewish tradition says this. Jewish tradition tells us that from the time of Moses to the destruction of the temple, there was over two million prophets. In fact, there were schools of the prophets. There was over two million prophets, and they went to these guys for everything. And I mean everything. If you had a profound question, you asked a prophet. You'd find a prophet. You asked a prophet. If you needed advice on your marriage, you'd find a prophet. If, if, you, needed, uh, if you lost your donkey, if you lost something, you, you would find a prophet. And so Saul had lost his donkeys. And it just happens that he finds not just a prophet, but the greatest prophet at that time in Israel in a man named Samuel. Samuel was the prophet of the day. He was the one that God had set up as the greatest prophet of that time. So Saul finds him and says, I lost my donkeys. Can you tell me where to find them? And Samuel's reply is this. Don't worry, your donkeys have been found. See, uh, they were were referred to as the word seer. S-E-E-R, seer. And the reason they were called seers is because people believed that the prophets lived on a higher spiritual level and were able to see what others could not. That's what a prophet was. 
So he said, where are my donkeys? And, the, and Samuel said, don't worry, I found your donkeys. And by the way, you've been appointed king. And that's how it came about. Say, Pastor David, that's a story that's hard to believe. 1 Samuel chapter 9, look it up. Amen? That's the backstory of it. He was looking for his donkeys. Don't worry, your donkeys have been found. And by the way, you're the king of Israel. I mean, <laughs> if you think about, I'm just looking for my donkey. Just walking around, I lost my donkey, honey. That's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> I lost my donkey. You know where my donkey is? Yep, I know where your donkey is. But by the way, you're also new, the new king. You're, you're the guy. You're in charge now. So Saul becomes the king of Israel. Saul recognizes the authority that Samuel had. He recognizes the authority. Samuel was, was the prophet of the day. He, he was known as a prophet that God had set up. So Samuel recognized it was the authority and the word of God. He was the mouthpiece of God. His words carried weight. So Samuel says, when he, when he says, I anointed you king over his people, so listen to these words from the Lord. Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He's saying, listen, the Lord wants to tell you something. It's time to listen now. That's what he's saying. And he says this to them. But I, I want before we go into that, uh, how many times, John, you're, you're married, right? Hallelujah. How many times did your wife say something to you and you go, yeah, I hear you. Uh, I hear you. Never? Happens to me all the time. How many husbands out there, your wife will tell you to do something? And you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I heard you. Bryce is laughing, right? I know it's him. You just go, I mean, I mean, really, you go, yeah, I heard you. You didn't actually hear them. You heard them, but you didn't listen to them. How many wives say amen? They heard it. Gary. <laughs> Gary's laughing. Amen. They, how, many, how many parents will say to your kids, tell your kids something? Now we're getting somewhere. How many parents will tell your kids something? And you know your kids heard you, right? Doug, I know that you must have told Bryce something hundreds of times per day, per hour. He said, yeah, I hear you. I got it. And then didn't listen. How many times do we do that in our own life? Where God is speaking to us clearly. And we say, yep, we heard you. How many times in our own life, God, God has given us, I love Jocelyn's little Bible here. God has given us all these commandments to live by. He is speaking to us clearly. And we say, yep, God, we hear you. But do we listen to him? Samuel has a word for Saul, and he says, it's time to listen to what the Lord has to say. And this is what is said to him. Go to the next slide there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Amalek. We are introduced to a new character. Amalek is not actually a character. It's a nation of people. So when we talk about Amalek, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, what, uh, what the nation of Amalek did to Israel. 
There, there was different nations in that day. One of the nations was called the Amalekites. This is Amalek, the Amalekites. Now, what's so special about the Amalekites? The Lord says, I need you to deal with them. I'm going to punish Amalek for what they did to Israel. The Amalekites, this is commentary, the Amalekites were a nation of people that were a constant woe to Israel. Shortly after the Israelites left Egypt, they, uh, the Amalekites attacked weary people. They slaughtered the elderly. They slaughtered the weak. Even the Babylonians, who were pretty bad people, had a, had a really bad opinion of them. They would call them the plungers, or a word called the kabadi. The, Amal- the Amalekites, they, this is some of the things they practiced. They practiced child burning. They practiced torture as public entertainment. They practiced sexual immorality as sport. They were full of sin before the Lord. They had attacked Israel, and God says, you know what? We have to, we're going to deal with them now. It's time to deal with them now. And here's what the word of the Lord was to King Saul. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Take them all out. Let me read that again. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. We're not going to gloss over this scripture. We're not going to gloss over it. It's disingenuous to call this anything other than what it is. God had commanded genocide. It's disingenuous to call it anything else. God had commanded genocide. We very well could gloss over it. It's very easy to say, well, you know, that was the God of the Old Testament. We worship the God of the New Testament. No, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we need to understand something about the God of the Old Testament. When we talk about God being a loving and merciful and a holy God, how can then we justify him going after Amalek and killing not just the men, not just the women, but also the children and the nursing infants? How is this justified? This is where we're going to get into some deep thinking today. This is where it's going to take time to digest a little bit. And that's okay. I told my wife today, I said, I think, I think the sermon is going to cause some discussion. And that's good. This is an imperfect illustration. But if you're a farmer, you know this. Often infected cattle or poultry are destroyed for the purpose of stopping an epidemic. And, and saving the other livestock. Likewise, if left unchecked, Amalek and nations like them would have plagued the world with such depravity that they were simply not redeemable. The nation was not redeemable. 
as much as it broke the heart of God, he had to eliminate the infection. There's always the classic question of this. Suppose you met Stalin or Hitler or some notorious person. Suppose we had a time machine and we were able to go back to where they had already set themselves on the course of evil, but they hadn't committed all the atrocities yet. If we had the opportunity to kill them at that point, would it be justified? If we had the opportunity to take them out before they committed these acts of horror, would it be justified? It's not an easy question. There was a man, he was a pastor, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor and he was a pacifist. He believed in peace, but he lived in Nazi Germany. He lived in Nazi Germany, and it's the question that he wrestled with. You see, he was a German pastor and a pacifist, but he was arrested for taking part in a plot to kill Hitler. He's considered a hero today. He wrote a phenomenal book called The Cost of Discipleship. He was murdered by the Nazis. He wrestled with the question for a long time, and he eventually concluded that he had to take part in the assassination attempt, not because of what Hitler had done, because that was a matter of God's judgment, but because of what Hitler would continue to do if he was not stopped. This is a hard question, but I want to look at it in medical terms. This was God commanding Saul to aggressively cut out the cancer from the body of humanity. It was commanding Saul to aggressively cut out the cancer. Don't leave even a little piece because it will come back with a vengeance. In God commanding this, we see that it's not an act of cruelty by a vengeful God, but it's an act of love that would allow the rest of humanity to be free from the horrors of the Amalekites. Did you know the Amalekites have always hated the nation of Israel? In fact, even today, the sign of Amalek is a sign against the Jewish people. But did Saul listen? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, 4 through 9, we see what happens. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them. And Tulaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came into the city of Amalek, and they lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all of the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took the new character, introduced Agag, king of the Amalekites. So we have Saul, we have Samuel, we have the Amalekites, and now we have the king of the Amalekites, Agag. He's the king of the Amalekites. He took him and kept him alive. 
and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Pastor David, what does all that mean? Simple. Saul takes the soldiers and he goes to the city of Amalek and he stays there waiting. While they're waiting, they see that in the city of Amalek, among the Amalekites, are another group of people. These people are called the Kenites. The Kenites were friends of Israel. So Saul warns the Kenites, get out. Get out now. We're going to destroy the Amalekites and we don't want you to be part of the bloodbath. So the Kenites leave, and they go in and attack Amalek, and they destroy everything except for this. They hold on to King Agag, and they hold on to everything that was good inside the city. In other words, they did this. They went against the word of the Lord. They went against the word of the Lord. Why keep the king? Why would Saul keep the king? For the simple reason of pride, he was his trophy. He was keeping the king as a trophy. And they kept all the good stuff. You know, (laughs) life gets a lot easier when we just follow what God commands. Life gets a lot easier when we just follow what God commands. It's when we go against the commands of the Lord that our life turns to mess. Isn't that right? It's when we go against the word of the Lord that our, that our life turns to mess. When we're not following the scripture, when we're not following the Bible like we know we should, when we're not living our lives as he commanded us to, when we're not following after the calling that he has called us to, when we're not doing what he has commanded us to. It goes a lot easier just to say, Lord, whatever you will, I'll do. What comes next is Saul's own fault. Verse 10, please. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to God all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. He's gone down to Gilgal. Samuel was grieved. The prophet was grieved. Grieving for Israel, yes, and likely grieving for Saul. There had been so much potential there. There had been so much promise there. There, He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. He was head and tails above everybody else. God had chosen him to be king and anointed him to be king. Saul, Samuel probably remembered the day that he anointed Saul king. When he took the flask of oil and poured it over his head and said, God has anointed you the king of Israel. And now, 
He was crying out to God because God said, I have greatly regretted setting up Saul as king. Samuel had a message now. He was grieved, but he had a message, and he had a message for Saul. And he went to go find the king. So he goes to find the king. As Samuel came close, Saul called out this. God's blessings on you. He's saying this to Samuel, the prophet. God's blessings on you. I accomplished God's plan to the letter. This is the message version, so it makes it a little bit easier to understand. But he basically says, hey, look, I did everything that God commanded me to do. And Samuel has this response, and I love this response. So what's that I'm hearing? What's that I'm hearing? Is that the bleeding of sheep? Is that the mooing of cows? Saul responds with only some Amalekite loot. We only took some stuff. The soldiers saved back a few of the choice cattle and sheep, and we did it to offer up a sacrifice to God. But in everything else, we destroyed under the holy ban. The way that God commanded, we did everything, except we held a few things back. (laughs) The prophet gets frustrated, yells, enough. Let me tell you what God told me last night. When a prophet says, let me tell you what God told me last night about you, that's when you got to get worried. Saul says, go ahead, tell me. Go ahead, tell me. And Samuel told him, when you started out in this, you were nothing. When you started out in this, you were nothing and you knew it. One version says that you had little eyes about yourself. What does that mean? He didn't think very highly of himself. There was a humility to him. When you started out in this, you were nothing and you knew it. Then God put you at the head of Israel. He made you king over Israel. Then God sent you off to do a job for him, ordering you. Go and put those sinners, the Amalekites, under a holy ban. Go to war against them until you have totally wiped them out. So why did you not obey God? Why did you grab all of this stuff, all this loot? Why, with God's eyes on you the whole time, have you so brazenly carried out this sin? I wonder how many times... God could say the same thing to me and the same thing to us. Why did you not obey God? Why, with God's eyes on you the whole time, did you brazenly carry out this evil? Saul still didn't get it. He still didn't get it. He started defending himself. Go to the next slide. What are you talking about? I did obey God. I did the job God set out for me. I brought in King Agag. I destroyed the Amalekites under the terms of the holy ban. So the soldiers saved a few choice sheep and cattle from the holy ban for sacrifice. What's wrong with that? He starts defending himself and says, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? He just didn't get it. 
I mean, he is just so blinded to the fact that he just ignored the commands of God. The next words Samuel speaks cut right to the core. Go to the next slide. So Samuel said this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. What does that mean? Well, I went and got these sheep and cattle for a sacrifice. Lord, I went against your commands so I could give you a sacrifice. God says, I didn't want your sacrifice. I wanted your obedience. I didn't want your sacrifice. I just wanted your obedience. I just wanted you to say, yes, Lord, whatever you will. I didn't want your sacrifice. I would rather you listen to my words than have the fat of rams. And then it says this. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being the king. You know, we don't talk a lot about this in churches anymore. We really don't. But rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We don't talk about it anymore. I mean, it's not... It doesn't make people feel warm and fuzzy inside, if you know what I mean. It doesn't make them feel like there's rainbows and puppy dog tails coming around. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. When we talk about rebellion being the sin of witchcraft, it's, it's just as wrong as you dabbling in the occult. God didn't ask them for a sacrifice. He asked them to obey. It's at this moment that Saul's life comes crashing down. I mean, crashing down. Thus, the prophet, the, this, this great prophet of Israel had just told him, you were no longer qualified to be king. Comes crashing down. It was like a punch in the gut. And Saul responds with the only way he could think of with desperation. And he says this, For I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel says to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. I can hardly do the scene justice. I can't do the scene justice. But in desperation, he pleads with Samuel. In desperation, this king, the most handsome man in all of Israel, this guy that had been set up as the most powerful guy, he starts pleading with the prophet, please forgive me. He's desperate. But the Lord has spoken. And Samuel starts to leave. And what happens next is just poetic. 
And Samuel turned away to turn to go away. And Saul grabbed or seized the edge of his robe, and when he did, it tore. I love the picture of this. Samuel goes to leave. Saul grabs his robe and tears off a piece. And Samuel says to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given you to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For God is not a man that he should relent. What does that mean? That God says what he means, and he means what he says. He's not a man that's going to relent. He's going to consistently change his mind. When God said it, he meant it. (laughs) Saul, still desperate, makes one last-ditch effort with these words. I have sinned, but yet please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Please return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. It's a last-ditch attempt. It's a last-ditch effort to say, please come back with me. Let the people of Israel see that you have come back with me and pray with me. He wants to maintain his figure in front of Israel. He wants to maintain his authority. He wants to maintain his, his leadership, excuse me, in all of Israel. And the verse that is perplexing is this. After everything Samuel had said, So Samuel turned back after Saul, meaning he followed Saul. And Saul worshipped the Lord. You say, wait a second, Pastor David. Why did he follow after Saul? Because Samuel didn't turn for Saul's sake. He went back because there was still some unfinished business. Remember King Agag? Saul had kept him alive, had used him as a trophy. Samuel says, okay, I'm going to go with you. He goes, and this is what happens next. Samuel says, bring King Agag to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag says these words, surely the bitterness of death is past. (laughs) I love This is just like the, well, come on. I mean, I know I killed a bunch of people, but surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel says these words, and I love these words. It's almost as if Agag, the villain, is at the end of the movie, and Saul, or I'm sorry, Samuel, the hero of the, of the movie, comes and he faces off against this villain. And Agag looks at him and says, well, surely the bitterness of death is, is gone now. And he says, Samuel says this, as your sword has made many women childless, so your mother shall be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Not a pretty picture. Not a pretty picture. Not a pretty picture. I love it. By the sword, 
you made, you made women childless. Childless. What does that mean? Agag had killed many children. Agag had made many women childless. He killed many children. So by the sword, you made women childless. So by this sword, I'm going to make your mother childless. And he hacks him to pieces. He speaks with the authority of God. He, he says this incredible statement, I'm going to make your mother childless. And then he does what the Lord commanded him to do. What we have now is seemingly the end of the story. What we have now is seemingly the end of the story. Go to the next slide. It says this. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house of Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The end. Right? Shaking his head, shaking his head. There's one more scene left in the movie. It's after all the credits have run. You're waiting for it. It takes us to the next chapter. And it says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, this is a conversation between God and Samuel. Just a conversation between God and his prophet. How long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to cry for this guy? That's what God is saying to him. How long are you going to cry for this guy? I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, for I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Go to the next slide. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. To be continued. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, Lord, you are so good to us. Lord, you are so good to us, so merciful to us. Lord, that you have provided a way to cut out sin from our lives. Lord, thank you for what you did at the cross. Lord, thank you for what you did. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, just like you destroyed the Amalekites, Lord, you want to destroy the sin in our life. You want to rip it out. You don't want there to be even a piece left. And it's only done by your blood. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. Lord, I pray this morning that they would be encouraged by courage. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.